This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Today, I interviewed Davina. She is the CEO and co-founder of Element Apothic. Element Apothic has a beautiful origin story, but I'm going to wait and let Davina share that with you. Today, they're focused on making better CBD products from time-tested artisanal formulations that have found new life as they partner with integrative practitioners to infuse new products with high-quality organic CBD and bring them to the masses. Davina is a strategic leader and brand creator. She's passionate about challenging the norm, and you're going to hear a lot of that in this episode. She's also passionate about making a difference with every company she has worked with. With Element Apothic, Davina brings to the table vast experience in team building, business strategy, and operational management. She's on a mission to create some good in the world, and I think she just might do it. Let's listen in to hear Davina's startup story and some really specific actionable advice that she shares that you can definitely use on your startup journey. Davina Kalanohi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me today. I'm so excited you're here, and I want to hear all about the Element Apathic journey. So first, start off by telling me what is this business? What's it about? Yeah, so I'll start about Element Apothic, and, and first I'll start with the story of how it started because that really has determined the business that we are running, that we're launching, and every decision that we make. So it was about eight years ago, my great aunt was diagnosed with several autoimmune diseases, and the prescriptions and medications prescribed by her were causing her more harm than good. And at best, her life was bedridden, at worst, not many years to live. So she really, you know, she was scared and not sure what to do. And at that time, she decided to take her health into her own hands and researching alternative uh, wellness treatments that could help relieve the symptoms to at least provide a little bit better quality life for her. She researched cannabis and actually started growing her own cannabis plants in her living room and plant-based remedies and became so well-versed in essential oils and started making uh, formulations to help her from lotions to balms, tinctures to inhalers, bath bombs, everything you can imagine to really help provide some relief for her. And over time, it really made a difference. And she ended up creating over those eight years, 40 formulations to help her and friends and family and outer people that saw all of the benefits that she was having from what she was doing. Wow. So yeah, so it's really incredible. A couple of years ago, she came to me and said, I want my products to go from the kitchen to the world. I don't know how to do that, but I'm handing over this business to you to um, do this. And my experience had been working with startups and helping them build their operation plans and strategy plans and some early internet experience of seeing several companies not succeed. And so I thought I've not launched a product in this space before, but I know how to build great teams and build a company. And so we launched Element Apothic. Element Apothic is a a CBD body care and wellness brand focused on 
clean, safe, sustainable products that really improve the quality of someone's life and allow them to live a life of better. What an amazing story. I love that. So let's dive in to the very beginning. So your grandmother handed this business to you. You, She wanted it to go from the kitchen to the world. You had this great startup experience. What was the first thing that you did? Yeah, so it's interesting. I contemplated it a lot because here I am going to launch a brand that I'm asking people to put products in their body and on their body. And, you know, even though she's used them and countless others have, I still needed to make sure to, for my own perspective, that the products were safe, especially with so much stuff happening in the CBD and cannabis space. So I reached out to an integrative medical doctor I had worked with before and said, Hey, I'm thinking of launching this company and these products. Do you want to get involved? Because I want somebody from a medical background to review them and make sure that they're really safe, that the amounts that we're using are effective, that they're not going to hurt anybody in any way. And so that is really was the first step in starting the brand of bringing on a medical advisor and, and looking to see, you know, to make sure that we had the best products that we could have. That's so key. And it's so important that anyone who starts a business has that understanding, that deep understanding of the industry that they're launching in so they can understand what regulations they're up against, how they're going to make it safe for their consumers. You know, I've talked to so many founders now who really talk about a specific pain point that they had, but it wasn't their area of expertise necessarily. And they were still able to launch the business successfully because they did that research up front. So- I think that's so important. Yeah, it's really important. It's one thing that, you know, we focused on that from the beginning. So it's myself and a co-founder um, who's our COO, who's has a video production background and marketing and a really incredible uh, manufacturing logistics experience. And then we brought on Dr. Swathi um, Varnasi, who's our chief scientific officer. She's an integrative pharmacist and has really great experience in the cannabis space and really kind of pushing, you know, what they even teach in pharmacy school and what alternative paths pharmacists can have instead of just going to work at your local pharmacist, you know, pharmacy store. And and so then with that, we complemented with our advisory team, which as I mentioned, the integrative doctor and looked, like you said, those pain points of, okay, here's the areas that we are capable of achieving and have experience and accomplished in, but what are we missing in order to really be able to build a brand that is going to be able to be successful and and sustain all of the challenges that are ahead of us. So we looked to those areas and said, okay, who else do we need to bring in? Or even if we have experience in this, maybe we don't have enough and we need someone else to help complement that. And I think that's really made such a big difference in going about launching the brand that way. All right. Well, now you've got a really solid foundation for this brand. What was the next step in terms of manufacturing, building a wait list, social media presence? What was the first step you took towards actually making sales? 
Yeah, so manufacturing, obviously, with a product company was important of really finding a good manufacturer that would work with us, which was a little tricky, more tricky than we actually thought, um, because we did need to make sure our products were shelf life stable and be able to go through testing. But a lot of the manufacturers wanted to use really easy preservatives, and we didn't want to do that. We wanted to preserve the clean quality of our products, which is why they were created in the first place. That was a big step that we took of finding a good manufacturer and really building out that process ahead of time, even with the 3PL um, company to make sure that we could ship. We you know, didn't want to just see a small path that we could produce these products, we can ship them from home. Like we were already thinking big, we're going to get retail locations, let's kind of build out the strategy. So that's in place when that happens. And then so hold on for a second. Tell me about why finding the right manufacturer was so difficult and how you overcame that challenge. Because you talked to me a little bit about what they wanted to put into your products, but why was it so difficult to find the the ones that shared your mission? And you know, how did you find them? So I think it was difficult because finding a manufacturer that was willing to work with us on creating a product, not utilizing the traditional preservatives that have been used. They're inexpensive. They're easy. There's not a lot of research and development that has to get put into formulating a product when you have these easy ingredients to use. And in the U.S., for example, there's 1,400 banned ingredients in Canada and U- in UK and Japan that we can use in our products. And so a lot of manufacturers take the easy route and a lot of companies take the easy route because it doesn't cost a lot because you can push products out a lot faster. And so that was just a challenge because many manufacturers have gone that route. There are some that don't and we were able to find them, but we wanted to have a really good relationship of being able to talk about future products that we are creating, making sure that our IP was safe with the manufacturer and trusting the recommendations they were making for other ingredients to add into our product formulations to make them shelf life stable fit into what our ethos was of maintaining, you know, clean, safe, natural based products. So what did you do to find the right manufacturer? How did you eventually overcome that challenge? It just took a lot of time and effort to really dig through the weeds and have good conversations and really challenge the manufacturer, making sure they were aligned with our mission and what our beliefs were with our products, doing research, doing reference checks with other companies that have worked with them to ensure that the IP was protected of our formulation. So it just was a lot of time and effort, a lot of good conversations. And and we ended up having a choice of two that both were really great and ended up choosing one that we felt was just a little bit more aligned with our mission. That's such good advice. I love that you said about doing the reference checks with people that have worked with them before, because I think when it comes to a lot of companies that are providing you a service, you have things like testimonials, but not necessarily where you can actually reach out to someone that they've worked with before and talk about the experience. So when you were doing this, you know, you said that you didn't have any experience in this field. How do you go about finding a manufacturer in the first place? I mean, I know there's Alibaba. Are there lists that you can source from? How did you get that chunk of information so you could go out and do the due diligence on it? Yeah, there's lists that exist out there. And so, I mean, you know, sometimes you 
hate technology and sometimes you love technology, but it's times like this where you have access to so much information by just researching it. And there are lists for plant-based manufacturers and clean manufacturers and sustainable and, and reading some industry news of kind of highlighting what certain manufacturers are doing. And so through that process, we were able to really create a list that we were able to, you know, go after and have these conversations. And then talking to other people that were in the industry, obviously, there's some reluctance for people to sometimes give up their manufacturer, but at least talking to them about the process and how they went about finding somebody really also helped as well. Yeah, I love that. I think mentorship, whether it's paid or free, is so important for any founder because there are a lot of people who have opened up a business like yours, who have more experience, um, have good networks or connections (laughs) and can just really help you overcome some steps or help you prevent you from making mistakes that maybe they have made. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things to think about. And, you know, it it's interesting because I was talking to someone like, I, I just don't have the time to get a mentor or advisor. And, and I said, but the time is so important because we've been provided invaluable information of mistakes not to make. I think it's not, like you mentioned, it's not just here's what you can do going forward, but here's what I did that I wish somebody would have told me not to do. <laughs> and, and it saves you so much time. I mean, I think i think back of so many of the things that reaching out and asking questions and the advice that was provided prevented us from going down the wrong path and even looking for a manufacturer and questions to ask and what to look for in the contract and you know things like that that you don't always think about when you don't have necessarily have that depth of experience in that particular industry. I love that so much. All right, so now you've got the manufacturing part of it. What came next for the business? Yeah, so once, so kind of parallel as we were finalizing, you know, working with the manufacturer was building out the website. We uh, brought on a branding advisor to our advisory team that really helped us fine tune what our messaging was going to be. And that really then drove a lot of other decisions in terms of the brand guidelines and style and website and information that we were going to have on their website, what our packaging design looked like as well. Um, So that was kind of the next thing that we did was, you know, what is our messaging? We know what we want to say, but how do we actually get it across to a consumer so it resonates with a consumer? And then having that be the overarching, you know, the overarching perspective in terms of everything else that followed. So we worked on our branding, then built out our website and packaging design and um, finished all of that. And right once we had all of that, then we started building a wait list next. Um, We used Kickoff Labs, which is a really great um, platform to start building a wait list you know, a bit ahead of time to kind of build excitement and start getting email addresses and really starting to build what we were hoping to launch in the near future. Hey, everybody, it's Shauna. I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode to remind you that there's lots of good stuff happening over at StartupRenegades.com. First, you can enter your email address, join the community, and get notified of discounts and specials that our featured founders are giving exclusively to the Startup Renegades community. 
Also, get notified when we have Founder Firesides, where we put the founders in the hot seats and give you the opportunity to ask them the questions in a one-on-one environment. Plus, you can join the Startup Renegades Business Workshop. This is a four-week accelerator for founders who need a custom strategy, actionable next steps, and a true support system in order to scale. Is that you? If so, come join us at StartupRenegades.com and let's get started. So first of all, I'm so glad that you said that because I am obsessed with wait lists. It's a legit strategy. And I think too many companies are waiting until they're like, quote unquote, ready to sell. I hear it from founders so often. Well, you know, why would I be spending marketing dollars right now? I don't have anything to sell yet. And the big answer for me is that as soon as you are ready to sell, you're going to immediately feel like you have failed because you're going to be launching to crickets. You haven't created any brand awareness. Nobody's excited. Nobody besides, you know, your mom and your co-founder knows what's going on. So waitlist, I think it's just such a strong strategy. And tell me about the platform that you've used because I have actually never heard of that one before. Yeah, so we were researching and it was I love looking on the internet. I do it for everything in my life um, and research things probably way more than I should, but it's but I always find it helpful. So I was just researching what other companies had done I, and looking at wait list and giveaways and stuff like that and kickoff labs popped up. And then I also was on LinkedIn and I follow a few people, started following a lot of people in the CPG space and um, consumer product and cannabis and CBD. And so uh, one woman had posted about her launching her brand and and she attributed the success of her launch specifically to building a wait list and also mentioned Kickoff Labs. I thought, okay, that's <laughs> that's the one I think that we should use. And, and they do everything from wait list to giveaways. They have a different like different pop-ups that you can use like a wheel, spin a wheel and stuff like that type things also on your site. So we utilize them for our wait list and now we use them for different uh, monthly giveaways and exit intent pop-ups and stuff like that to continue to be able to collect those email addresses. They're so valuable to be able to have uh, email from somebody because you can have a lot of followers on Instagram or Facebook or but you can't really reach out to them in that personal way that you can with an email. Yes, I'm so excited right now. I'm gonna link to that in the show notes. And you're just preaching in the choir here. I think (laughs) I say that to so many people. We have a lot of guests on this show that talk about their success on social media, on Instagram, on things like that. And you can do it for sure. I think a lot of people do it well, and have some great advice on how to do it. But for me, the email list is really where the conversions come from. And social media is more like top of funnel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We do wish we would have started our wait list earlier. I think the earlier you can, you're just building that much more excitement. So that's one thing I would definitely recommend. Like you said, don't underestimate the importance of that because even when we launched, we're like, oh, if we imagine if we would have done this 30 days or 60 days earlier and started building more awareness of the brand before uh, we launched. You know, we did have a good email list to start, but we definitely felt like we could have started that process sooner. 
So tell me about launch day. You've done all of this work from getting the right experts on your team, making sure the products are safe, manufacturing, product design. You've got a beautiful website. You've put in all of the marketing work ahead of time in terms of putting that wait list up. Now, what happened when you launched the business? Yeah, so it's interesting. So we kept delaying our launch, which is another thing that I think is an interesting thing to think about because you know we wanted everything to be perfect. And so that kept pushing an issue. We were going to launch pre-holiday season and get in on the Black Friday sales and really be able to participate through that whole couple week season of the, of holiday sales. But we were like, well, one more thing, and we're waiting for this certification to come through. <laughs> we're waiting for this. So we had this great list. We had all of this work, but I think we could have launched even done a pre-sale or something like that with having the email list that we had. So we launched the day, um, the weekend after of Thanksgiving, you know, just after the Black Friday sales and stuff. And we did, I think, miss out on the opportunity to be able to market prior to that, especially this year with COVID companies were starting their sales for Black Friday two weeks ahead of time. And we had a great list. We had excitement. We had sales, which, you know, is so exciting. You launch, you're like, oh my gosh, look at the sales coming in. But I think thinking about it, looking back, I think there's never that perfect moment to launch. And I think we could have been a little bit more courageous and just said, all right, we're going for it. We're going to start a pre-sale as we continue to build this list, as we continue to finalize the last couple details and get the last certification we're looking for and things like that. So So it was great and it was exciting. And looking back, though, I think we could have done it a little bit sooner. So I love that. You're just coming in hot with all the best advice today. The pre-sales, a lot of companies will actually start selling the product before they have it, before it's completely designed or before they have it manufactured in hand. And for some, that's actually a way to pay for the manufacturing because especially when you're in startup mode, when we're talking about bootstrapping, it's really hard to get to the next product so you can grow, so you can have that opportunity. So a lot of companies will use the pre-sale as a way to actually fund getting that new product made. Right. Yeah. A lot of companies use even, you know, Kickstarters or things like that as well um, to be able to do that. We had a Ours was a little mini pre-sale, so it was only a couple days to our email list. And there's just, just so many things you can do, like said, really building that email list farther ahead of time than you would even think to anticipate. And people are excited and, and add value to that email list, you know, thinking back of some of the things we could have done and then starting doing a pre-sale for a longer period of time and continuing to just build that excitement and momentum because it it takes time and there's so many for us especially in the cbd space there's i think 3,000 brands that have launched over the last couple years which is just an insane amount of companies it's easy there's so many white labeled products and manufacturers out there and so you have to really think about some of the things that are out there that exist to be able to help cut through that noise and give you a little bit of advantage when you launch. And and we tried to do some of those things and we didn't do all of them or we didn't do them with thinking about how much time we could have actually prepared ahead of time for our launch. Yeah, absolutely. So 
what strategies then up until this point have been really effective in helping you scale up the company's growth? Yeah. So prior to launch, we also did launch a WeFunder campaign, which is an equity crowdfunding platform. And we initially were, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we bootstrapped up to that point. We realized that the manufacturing and production and especially marketing costs um, to be able to cut through the crowded market was going to be really important for us to have that money and also counting on obviously the launch itself. So we kicked that off as well. We now have raised, I think, about 61000 a little bit less than we wanted, but also more than we want, you know, more than we were anticipating. So we're really excited about that. That then allowed us to really be able to put money towards making sure that we had uh, marketing in place when we launched and thinking about additional products and already starting research and development on those. So that process could continue happening. So that process was kind of running simultaneously through our launch. Post-launch, we started more aggressively being able to push that crowdfunding campaign because now we actually had products on the market and people could see that we weren't just another brand that was talking about launching, but that we actually launched our products. Any tips for crowdfunding success? I mean, that amount might not have been exactly what you wanted, but that is a really successful campaign. I think people go into crowdfunding thinking they're going to put it up and all of a sudden people are going to see it and love it. But (laughs) one of the biggest challenges of crowdfunding is the marketing. You have to drive traffic to it. Yeah, I think that it was exactly what we went into it. We're like, we're on this great platform. All of these people are going to see it. (laughs) We're going to all of a sudden raise money. And it's tough because there were, you know, there was another company similar to ours that was uh, raising. And I mean, they had already, I think they were in like 50 stores and had sales, but we still thought, you know, people are going to come see our products and see that we're far better than what they're doing. And look at how much they've raised already, not knowing exactly how much work goes into some t- some of these crowdfunding. There's so much marketing that you have to think about uh, through social media. Unfortunately, we were limited. Our campaigns continue to get shut down on um, Facebook and Instagram. There's a really fine line right now that they're kind of toddling back and forth between allowing CBD ads or not. They you know, basically banned our accounts to allow us to advertise. And that was a big way that we were told to be able to get the message out. And we were only building our email list. So it wasn't like we had this extensive email list to reach out and say, hey, look at we're crowdfunding, you should do this. So it definitely was more challenging than we thought. But we try to really leverage our our family, friends, and thinking of doing other stuff on Kickoff Labs as well to really get email addresses and start promoting that equity raise and just trying to be creative with getting the word out there. Like you said, is the most important thing that I don't think people realize is how much marketing actually goes into some of these successful raises. And, you know, like you said, the we felt like it was a successful raise. I think we had hoped we would get more, but we learned so much going through that process and so many conversations about pitching the company it actually helped us fine tune our, our messaging and positioning of the company so that when we do go back out for another raise at a later time, we really tightened up our pitch deck and who we are and what we stand for. It's also, I believe, going to help us as we start you know, pitching to retailers and just having that pitch down packed. I think that really was one of the things that we got out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the Kickoff Labs software again, and it made me think another question. So 
it's great to have a software for a wait list and, and for capturing those leads. But what you just said about the crowdfunding also applies for building a wait list or anything else. So you have this great software, but you have to drive traffic to your offer if you're going to be able to generate leads. So how did you do that in the beginning? Were you running ads? Was it word of mouth? How did you do it before you had even launched? Yeah, so we really did mostly word of mouth and leveraging our own email network that we had through our careers kind of established, utilizing LinkedIn, reaching out to people that we hadn't talked to in, in years. And I mean, many people were really willing to help and forward the campaign to people that we knew. We asked everyone, even if they couldn't, could you at least forward this to a couple of people that might be interested? Um, because we were not able to run the ads that we had wanted. We got one, I think one or two approved on Instagram, but then they, it quickly <laughs> shut down. So that was really limiting for us. Um, but we just really got creative in terms of how to get the message out there um, to people about the equity raise that we were doing. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So tell me, Davina, what does being a startup renegade mean to you? It Being a startup renegade to me means to just continue to challenge yourself to be everything that you think that you can be. <laughs> that's I wake up every day and I think, what could we do better as a brand? Um, how can we leverage what's out there, the people that are out there to challenge ourselves to create a brand that's going to stay? And that's something that I think is important. You, you, It's easy to underestimate yourself and think that it's too overwhelming or it's too challenging or, or I don't know this, but it's just constantly pushing at least from my perspective of for better and for better means that may not be within myself, that may be within other people or other information out there um, to leverage, to create something that really is going to feel passionate and feel good every day when you wake up. I love that. Thank you for sharing your beautiful startup story and all of this really, really solid advice. I loved it. Can you tell listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so our website is elementapothic.com. Um, and there's really great information. We're really focused on education also, not just in CBD, but in general wellness. So our blog is really, I love reading it every day, off, actually. And you can find us on Instagram also, Facebook, um, LinkedIn at Element Apothic also, the handle Element Apothic. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoy the conversation. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade. 